have um, two readings this morning. So the first one is from Genesis chapter 17, starting at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be, shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but, your, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Our second reading is from Romans chapter 4, and we're reading from verse 7 to 17. So starting at verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. 
How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, for the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promised may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Well, thank you, Kirsten, for reading. Um, and please do go back to Genesis 17. That's our passage for today. And let me say, I'm really glad you're here this morning, uh, just to add my welcome to Jay's. Though I wonder if you're glad you're here, having heard the reading. I mean, some of us come into church feeling like we're barely keeping going. We're kind of crawling in, whether spiritually or emotionally. We're, we're kind of at a low ebb, and we're, we're groaning because of that. But maybe you came in quite bright and now you've heard the reading and you're like, oh man, are we actually going to talk about circumcision? It's going to be a long morning. I do have some sympathy with that feeling. Uh, when Robin sends through the, the, the preaching planner and you, you look along your name and see the passage and I saw Genesis 17, I was like, oh, <laughs> what am I going to say about that? I think there are lots of reasons why we might not want to talk about circumcision. There's the embarrassment factor. I mean, I'm sure the small group leaders are dreading the question, sorry, can, I just, can someone just explain to me, what exactly is circumcision? There's the cultural factor, isn't there? For most of us, this is a, a totally alien world, a, a strange practice. It feels archaic, a different time and place. Your new colleagues ask you tomorrow, oh, what did you get up to over the weekend? Are you going to mention the half-hour talk on circumcision Sunday morning? All of it, of course, raises the question, how can this possibly be relevant to us? I think we live in a culture that really values uh, productivity and practicality. We're often looking for something practical, something down to earth, something that works for us. That's why life coaching and agony aunts and lifestyle podcasts and TikTok life hacks are all so popular. Here's something quick that's kind of relevant, and if you change this one thing, it will change your life. We love that. And that attitude can spill over to Bible reading. We come thinking, well, come on, where's, where's the take-home lesson about how I behave? Where's the practical soundbite for me? Where's the specific application for Monday morning? But having grappled with this passage for weeks, I can honestly promise you two things. Firstly, there is amazing, hugely relevant stuff in Genesis 17 for us, including the stuff about circumcision, but secondly, it's going to take a bit of concentration to get there, a bit of time. So I'm kind of making an appeal right up front. Please stick with me as we go through. Now, the real issue in the chapter, the kind of key question, and this is why it's relevant to everyone on the planet, the key question is, who gets to benefit 
from the blessings promised to Abraham. Who gets the benefits from the blessings promised to Abraham? We've been seeing through the series in Genesis so far that God has, has graciously brought hope into a hopeless world. This world is, is now fallen. It was created good and then ruined by our human sin as we turned against God, the creator. And so the world was turned from blessing to curse. That's the fallen we live, world we live in now. But God has a plan to turn curse back to blessing through Abraham's family. Which leads to the big question, who counts as inside the family of Abraham? Now, I realize if, if you are new to church things or you're just looking in on Christian things today, uh, I mean, you must be the person who's really thinking, what have I come to? I mean, circumcision, what is going on? But actually that question, who gets to belong to the family of God's people, the family of Abraham, that is the key question in life. It's really who gets the good life in the end. That's the question. And the answer to that isn't just going to be a kind of soundbite or a quick life hack. We're going to need to think carefully about Genesis 17. So let me pray for God's help, and then we'll get going. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do, we do pray for your help this morning. Help me to be clear and faithful. Help all of us to be hungry, hungry for answers to how we can belong to your people and to your blessings. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I've said the key question in this chapter is who gets to benefit from the blessings promised to Abraham? And we're just going to, for a moment, dive into the middle and see what you might think the answer is. So look at verses 13 and 14. This is right in the center of this chapter. Verses 13 and 14 of chapter 17. So we're on page 12. It might seem that the answer is pretty straightforward. Here it is in black and white. Verse 13. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So there you go. There's the answer. If you want to be counted in on the blessings of Abraham, you need to get circumcised. It seems like that is who belongs which might well be making some of us shuffle uncomfortably in our seats. And actually, not just the men, because all of us should be wondering, what is going on here? Because up to this point in Genesis, it seemed like hope in the world is a free gift from God. He has committed himself. In chapter 15, he, he committed himself utterly graciously to bless the world through Abraham's family. That was where hope was to be found. He, he said, X marks the spot. That family is the one I'm going to work through. So it really matters who belongs. And it seemed like it was all of grace, as in God's free gift to us. Suddenly it's a language of keeping the covenant or, or breaking the covenant. Suddenly it sounds like, oh, hang on. Is this some small print? Is there our end of the bargain that we need to keep up? You know, God does some of it, maybe 80%, 90%. And we do some of it, 10%, the circumcision bit. And, and maybe that's how you belong if you hit a certain mark in the obedience test. There could not be a more important question in the world today than how you belong to this family. And if the answer is, well, you need to hit a certain level of performance, we have a real problem. 
Just last week, we saw Abraham completely blowing it. And it wasn't the first time. If we know ourselves, we blow it with God. So we need to know, how do you belong to this family? Now, we're going to get onto that in point two. You'll see there's an outline just inside the service sheet. Um, Point two is going to tackle that big question. But first, we need a run-up. And so verses one to eight, we're going to look at point one um, before we get there. So hold that thought. Let's go to verses one to eight. And and the point is this. God's promises are even bigger than you think. God's promises are even bigger than you think. I'm saying that because in this chapter, chapter 17, God is repeating promises he's made and expanding on them. He's giving more detail and actually an enlarged picture of what they actually point to. Um, In particular, we're going to see that Abraham's descendants are going to be an international royal family. Quite an upgrade. So let me just show you a couple of pictures. Um, all through this book of Genesis, we're, we're following the progress of God's promises. That's one of the big kind of story threads through the book of Genesis and indeed the whole Bible. Um, and those promises um, focus on a few things. Right at the heart of this covenant relationship, this committed relationship with God, is personal relationship with him. So the language is there. If you look in verse 7, um, that kind of sums it up. Verse 7 this personal relationship with God. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. That idea that I'll be your God and you'll be my people, that's the kind of heart of of this relationship, this covenant relationship with God. It's going to keep being repeated, that that language um, through the Bible. It's like if you've been to a wedding recently, many of us have, um, when someone says, I take you to be my wife, or I take you to be my husband, God says, I take you to be my people, and I'll be God to you. I'm personally committed to you. I'll be faithful to you. I'll be with you. I'll provide for you, protect you, bless you. So that's the first thing, more detail on the personal relationship with God. Um, Secondly, there's a bit more detail about the place. You can see that in verse 8. I'll give you this land forever. Um, everlasting possession. Uh, But actually, the place isn't the main focus. The main focus here is on God's people. The people promise is the big expansion. So turn back to verse 4. And that's our turning done for a bit. We're going to spend some time in verses 4 to 6. Let me just read them and listen out for the people promise. So God says to Abraham, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Now, there's a couple of ways this expands the promise. Um, uh, First off, it's the first time we've heard anything about kings. So kings will come from you. Your family will be a royal family. But I think even more stress than that is this note of being an international family. Back in Genesis 12, verse 3, we were told all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. But we weren't sure how that would happen. So is it going to be at kind of arm's length? Like maybe they'll be able to be friends with Abraham or or make treaties with Abraham. Or or maybe there'll just be some trickle-down economics that Abraham's blessed and kind of other people get some of the scraps off the table. No, says chapter 17. A multitude of nations will call Abraham Father, 
That is to say, his family is going to be international. Not just international, but royal. An international royal family. Now we might think, if we know a bit of history after Abraham, we might think, oh, okay, it's just saying there's going to be loads of offshoots offer Abraham, kind of different nations, different tribes are going to kind of shoot up, like Ishmael, he'll go off and form a different nation with princes, and Esau, he'll go off and form the Edomites. Maybe it's just, he's going to have so many children that some of them will end up being different nations with different rulers. And there's some truth to that, that does happen. Um, For example, many Islamic nations trace their ancestry back to Abraham. This is actually a great bit of the Bible to read one-to-one with a Muslim friend or a colleague. Um, but actually, I think this promise isn't just saying there'll be lots of separate nations that come from you, and lots of offshoots who go their own way, not part of God's family. No, this is saying Abraham's own branch of the tree, the chosen trunk road for God's promises, the chosen family will be an international family and a royal family. Striking this. It's so important that uh, Abraham gets a name change to underline the point. Um, after, over the last few weeks, you might have been wondering why in our Bibles, Abraham seemed to have lost some of his letters. He's been called Abraham, um, except we kept forgetting to say it up front because we're so used to Abraham. The reality is the bloke was originally called Abraham. And only because of chapter 17 did he get stretched out to be Abraham. Just have a look um, uh, at how Jesus puts it. Um, uh, verse 5, no longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham. Now, what's going on? Well, the original name means exalted father or great dad. The new name is father of a multitude or great, like multi-dad. The thing is, we already know Abraham's going to have a lot of children. So the multitude is not about lots of people. It's about lots of nations. So actually, it's great multinational dad. That is what the name Abraham means. The ha uh, is, is squeezing in the Hebrew word for multitude. A multitude of nations, the great multinational dad. That is what his name now means. Now, in case you're thinking, this guy's making an awful lot out of one syllable, (laughs) let me just read verses four to six and see if you can hear the repeated idea for yourself. Verse four. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be, here it comes, the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. And in case two times isn't enough, verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you. Do you see the point? He is the big, great, multinational dad. If we're still not convinced, just look down to verse 15. Sarah in verse 15. Uh, We're not going to do the second half of the chapter today. It's already too much to think about. Um, But just in verse 15, Sarah gets the same treatment. She gets renamed. Verse 15, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Why? Well, verse 16, I will bless her. Moreover, I'll give you a son by her. I'll bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. 
You see the point? Could he make it any more obvious? Abraham and Sarah, I want you to know, you're not just going to have a big family, you're going to have a multinational family, an international family, as well as a royal family, a family with kings in the line. I mean, it's quite a promise, isn't it? For just some random guy from Mesopotamia who had nothing to distinguish him from the next guy, apart from the fact, the tragic fact, that his wife couldn't medically have children. And a guy who has stuffed up with God. We saw that last week. And with his wife, multiple times. For them, just one son would be amazing, or one daughter. Far more than they deserve, given what's happened already. And yet, God promises a massive, international, royal family. That's point one. God's promises are even bigger than you think. And maybe at that point, those of us who are Christians are thinking, oh, okay, okay, I, I can see where this is going. In fact, you could stop the train, I can get off, because I've got the idea. You're basically saying that the question is who gets to belong to Abraham's family, who gets to benefit from Abraham's covenant blessings. And I've got the answer. We're talking about people from all nations. Uh, kind of it's going to come through a king, I guess King Jesus, he turns up later in Abraham's family. And anyone who comes to him can be welcomed into God's family. Brilliant. Time to sing. Maybe for the first time ever, with me preaching, we're going to have an early coffee. And actually, looking around the room, we can see the fulfillment of this, can't we? As God brings different nations together in one family, all of whom would look to Abraham as the father of the faith. We've all been grafted in to this family tree through the king promised here, King Jesus. But just before we, we stop and sing a song of praise, there is an issue still. Because we haven't talked about circumcision. Remember verses 13 and 14, which we read earlier? Because God seemed pretty clear there that the way to be part of this family, whatever nation you start in, the way to be part of the family and receive the blessings is to be circumcised. Now, I decided I wasn't brave enough to even ask us to shout out what nations we're from. I'm definitely not going to ask for a show of hands about who's circumcised. But I'm, I'm guessing it wouldn't be a big number. So there is this puzzle, right in this chapter, a puzzle. Who gets to be in Abraham's family? Is it a multitude of nations or is it those who are circumcised? Well, let's get to our second point and to the real heart of this issue. Second point, God's promises we've already seen are bigger than you think, but they are limited to children of Abraham who keep covenants. These amazing blessings from God are limited to children of Abraham who keep covenants. That comes through the, through the chapter, actually. Right at the start, God tells Abraham to walk before me and be blameless. Matters how you walk. And then verse 9, he's explicit. It's not just Abraham, but verse 9, it's his offspring as well. Verse 9, God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. What do they need to do to keep the covenant? Well, verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. What happens if they don't? Verse 14, any uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenants. Now, I realize this idea of people needing to keep the covenant raises real puzzles. Like I said at the start, well, hang on, how does this fit with chapter 15, where it seemed like God alone signed the covenant, God alone committed unilaterally to blessing Abraham when he walked through those animal pieces? 
Is this now the small print saying, well, God does 80% and we do the rest? And if that's the case, well, how's it going to work? If you know your heart, if we know Abraham's heart, how's it going to work if we have to top up our side? More pressingly, what about the specific command? I mean, am I standing up here about to suggest we set up a kind of circumcision clinic to become true sons of Abraham? And that might seem like an absurd question to us, but to the early church, that was one of the biggest questions they grappled with. This issue of whether, if you're not a Jew, whether you need to be circumcised to inherit the promises of Abraham. To give you an idea, it's a major issue in these books. Galatians, Colossians, Philippians, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Titus, Ephesians. It's a big deal. Of course it is, because all of God's blessings flow through this family. How we belong to this family is the key question. And it seems like if we're not from a Jewish background and we're not circumcised, we are on the outside of the promises. You can imagine the home group study in the first century where someone reads Genesis 17 and says, oh, it's clear. It's clear what the application is. If you want to keep covenant, you have to get circumcised. You've got to take the Bible seriously. You can't change God's standards. So then, how do we make sense of this? Well, I've been grappling with this, um, grappling hard, uh, reading lots of books. Um, in fact, true story, at one point I had so many different books open and stacked up in, my, in the office at home in the bedroom that uh, Jessie had to do an intervention <laughs> and kind of tidy it. I think partly for her sanity, but also for my safety. It was getting to the... Yeah. Okay, here's where I've got to, um, which I hope will be helpful. First off, if this was about needing to be Jewish, if it was about ethnicity... Well, it would be very strange because this is the chapter where Abraham is renamed the great multinational daddy. See that? So it can't just be about being Jewish. And actually, that's clear even if you look at verse 12 and 13. So in verses 12 and 13, the instruction um, to circumcise his household doesn't just apply to people born from Abraham, the kind of physical descendants, the ethnic descendants. Actually, it applies to everyone in the household, including foreigners um, who've joined it. So then we might think, okay, so it's not about ethnicity. It's not about being Jewish. It's therefore definitely about circumcision. Surely, if you've, if you've not got that, you're definitely out. If you have got that, you're definitely in, on the escalator to God's promises and blessings. So again, we need to say, well, hang on. Even in this chapter... By the end, there are two sons in view. The son Ishmael, um, who was born uh, through all the shenanigans last week, and the son Isaac, who's promised by God. Now, both of them are circumcised. And yet, verses 18 and 19, God is very clear that only one of them actually will inherit the blessings, will be um, the inheritor of the covenants the true offspring of Abraham. Do you see what I mean? So, so even circumcision, it turns out, isn't an automatic key to be part of uh, this family of promise. So then, if it's not about ethnicity, being Jewish, if it's not about the right itself, being circumcised, well, what then is the key marker of keeping covenant with God? Or in other words, what is required to be declared right with God, righteous in his sight? Well, turn back with me 
It's our only cross-reference. Turn back with me to chapter 15, verse 6, because Genesis has already told us. Chapter 15, verse 6. This is when God actually made the covenant with Abraham, this chapter. And right up front, we learn what the key response is. Verse 6. Here it is. Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him, or credited it to him, as righteousness. That's the key response, the key way to keep covenant. Abraham believed God, God's promises, and it was credited to him, counted as righteous, even though his actual performance on the ground was anything but 100% obedient. That is the heart, the absolute heart of this covenant. It fits with God's utterly gracious nature that he's going to fulfill the covenant commitments. And so when circumcision comes later than that, two chapters later, about 20 years maybe later, and when it comes later, well, it's not, um, it's not operating as, oh, here's the actual terms of the deal. No, the, co- the circumcision is a sign of the covenant that already exists, an expression of Abraham's faith, which is already in place, a sign of the right standing he already has with God by faith alone. So back in Genesis 17, that's why it's called, verse 11, a sign. This is not the making of the covenant. That was already done in 15. It's, it's a sign of the covenant that exists. Okay. I appreciate this is a lot to get our heads around on a Sunday morning in uh, late September. Um, but if I've, or maybe it's October now, I don't actually know. Um, I think it might be. It is. It is. Naomi's nodding. Okay. A lot to, well, it's a lot to, to get your head around in October. But if I've lost you along the way, let me just sum up so far where we've got to. Point one said these promises are much bigger than you think. The big multinational dad. Point two said, yeah, but they are limited to those who keep covenants. This family has a defined boundary. The question was, how do you keep covenants? Is it by being Jewish? No. He's the multinational dad. Is it by being circumcised physically and then you're definitely in? Well, no, actually. Isaac and Ishmael. So what is the key sign? It is faith like Abraham, of which circumcision was a sign and a seal. Now, if I've still lost you, even after that summary, uh, go and read Romans 4. Romans 4 is explaining all this. It's a much better exposition of this chapter of Genesis than, than I'm giving you. Um, so you can go and read that. And when you do, as we heard in the reading, you, we'll hear that God says the only way that Abraham could be a father of many nations was if uh, faith was the sign, or faith was the, the response needed, not circumcision or ethnicity. So then, can we now have coffee? I mean, we're kind of back where we were at the end of point one, aren't we? God has promised an international family through Abraham, and anyone is welcome just by faith. And wonderfully, here today, this morning, we're seeing that proven in practice as many nations gather with faith in Jesus to be part of this family. But just before I sit down and we sing, there is one more question I think it's important to address. Because we still haven't really talked about circumcision. We, we've kind of said it's all about faith. That's the key thing. So then why bother with circumcision at all? That's our final question, our final point, and I'll try and be brief. And I have to say, this is the bit I'm most excited about. So, um, 
but it will be short but exciting, I hope. Uh, why, are we, why does God even have circumcision in the Bible in chapter 17 in Genesis? Why have it at all? Well, three brief, brief things to mention. Firstly, most simply, this is an expression of faith or an outworking of Abraham's faith. And it will be until Jesus arrives. This is one of the ways you say you trust God by doing this, obeying what God said. And that's saying to us that true faith, true saving faith, it's always active. If someone says they trust Jesus and it's made zero impact on their life, it's right to ask the question, really? Are you really taking his word seriously? you really believe what he says? So that's the first thing. It's showing us that real saving faith always leads to obedience. Not perfect obedience. We've seen that with Abraham. Not always consistent obedience, but decisive obedience. There is a turning and doing what God says. And so when Abraham's told, he needs to circumcise every male in the house. And remember, there are like 318 fighting men in that house. I mean, imagine how the conversation might have gone. Well, actually, Abraham did it. This radical, costly obedience flowed from his faith. Just like when Jesus calls us to turn and trust him, to turn from our old lives, to take up our cross and follow him. Faith says yes. That's the first reason. It's kind of outworking of his faith, his covenant commitment to God. But still, why did it have to be circumcision? I mean, it can't be pleasant, can it, as a 99-year-old man, or actually for any man in the household. Was this, was this some kind of grim pain test? Like, are you willing to run through hot coals for me? No. I don't think it's arbitrary. I don't think God's just doing a kind of well, you need to think where, sake, so you can prove whether you trust me. No, we need to think where this is and what this actually is. So first off, where this is, it's no coincidence that where the mark is being put is on the reproductive organ, the organ of procreation. Or in other words, it's precisely where God has made promises. See, he promised Abraham, your seed, your offspring, your children are going to come. And so he was risking DIY surgery at his age that could potentially put all of that in jeopardy. Now, circumcision as a practice wasn't actually unique to Abraham's family at this time in the ancient Near East. Um, some nations did it when kind of boys came of age, as a way of saying you're now a man. Egypt did it to their priests to say you're kind of set aside as a holy person. But just like we saw with the covenant cutting two weeks ago, God picks up these cultural conventions and gives them particular significance for his plan. Now think about the significance of this. Uniquely, he moved it to just by birth, eight days after birth. And it was designed in a way that it was a continual reminder from generation to generation that God had promised a seed, an offspring. Someone who one day would come in the line of Abraham who would once and for all deal with sin and evil. I think actually that's why it's just the males who receive it. Because there was this promised rescuer to come. We've heard about him in Genesis, this serpent-crushing son of Eve or of Abraham. See, this sign of the covenant, when you think where it is, it points to God's promises. It points to Jesus to come. 
That's the first thing to, to clock about the sign. And that's mind-blowing enough, isn't it? But there's still a question because, okay, we've thought about the location. Okay, where it is actually makes some sense now. But why does it need to be a cut? Like, bloody. Why couldn't it be a tattoo or a mark? Wouldn't that have been enough without actually having to cut off some flesh? I think, actually, this is the most profound element of the significance here. Um, we are nearly done, but concentrate for this bit, because I think it's extraordinary what God's doing. God is using this picture to suggest that such is our sinful nature as human beings, that something radical needs to be done to set us apart for God's service or else God's judgment would fall on us. Now, why am I saying all that? Where am I getting that from? Well, so far in Genesis, we've heard, as Jay said, we've already established human beings are not okay. Left to ourselves, we do tend towards violence and deceit and pride and sin against God and against each other. In fact, by this point, we've had Noah's flood just before the flood, God looked at human hearts and said they were, they were evil, full of evil intentions. After the flood, he said, actually, it's still the case. And he said these words. He said how all people, literally all flesh, deserve to face his judgment, literally to be cut off from the face of the earth. But he said, in his great grace and kindness, he wasn't going to do that by flood again. All flesh should be cut off, but I won't because of my gracious covenant. That's Genesis 9, if you want to go back and read it. And so now his covenant family, his great plan to save the world, are going to carry with them this mark, this cutting off of a bit of flesh, to show that... that but for God's grace, judgment would fall and to show that something radical needs to be done to our human natures, our sinful natures. And actually, as the Bible goes on, it becomes more and more clear that something far more radical than just a little cut in the flesh is needed to make people right for a holy God. So Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, begs the people who are rebelling against God with these words, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. He's saying it's not enough just to have a little mark on you. You need your heart to be dealt with, circumcised. Except the problem is we can't do this to ourselves. And so later in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses looks forward to a day when God will do this to us. Just listen to this. Looking forward to the day when Jesus comes. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength that you may live. Moses is saying that's what's really needed. Not just a little bit of my sinful nature being cut off as if the problem's there. No, the whole thing, a whole new me has to come. Uh, from the inside out, I need to be changed. And all this brings us to my concluding thought, and I think perhaps the most surprising thing, it was a surprise to me, the most unexpected thing I've said this morning. You might have said, you might have thought I was going to say, 
Well, back then they needed to be circumcised, but thankfully that's not required anymore. Actually, it's not quite that. It's that God's people needed to be more circumcised than this. Our entire old self, our entire sinful nature needs dealing with. And so when Jesus died on the cross, when he was cut off from the living, when he bore God's judgment on the tree, when he took my old self and nailed it to the cross, he was actually cutting off the old me, not just a bit of me. And by his spirit now gives us a, makes us a new creation, gives us a new heart that longs to love him. So had I asked for a kind of hands up if you're circumcised, uh, I never would, but uh, the Christians should all have their hands up. And that's not me saying it. Let me just read a couple of verses as we close. Philippians 3, verse 3, speaking of Christians. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2, 11, likewise. In Jesus you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then later, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. As Romans put it, those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. As Galatians put it, if we're Christ's, we're Abraham's offspring. Okay, our time is up. I realize that's a lot to process and kind of get our heads around. And there's a question time uh, a week, in a week's time after the evening service. Feel free to ask me questions now or, or pop them in the box at the back and we'll try and tackle them. But we began this chapter asking who gets to be part of this family. No more important question because this is where God's hope and God's blessings are. Um, for most of the talk, I was saying, well, it's confusing, isn't it? Because there's, there's God's grace over here and there's the need to keep covenant and be circumcised over here. The reality is that in Jesus, by grace, as we trust in Jesus, he does something to us that a mere bit of surgery never could. He makes us right with God, cutting off our sinful nature as the old me dies at the cross and giving us a new nature as the new me is raised to live for him. Let me pray for God's help to do exactly that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, your thoughts are above our thoughts. Your ways are higher than ours. And sometimes when we read the Bible, particularly before Jesus comes, it is extraordinary, your plan. Thank you that you show us what it will be like early on. Thank you for the promise of kings to come. And particularly this promise of a multinational family in Abraham. And we praise you this morning that we can belong to that family by faith in Jesus the one who deals with our sinful nature. We thank you so much for that and pray it would sink deep in our hearts and lead us to walk in faith. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.